Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to call this meeting to order. Call this meeting to order. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. Um, let's see. Uh, the first order of business will be public speakers. Wait a minute. No, I'm not going to do that. I can change it any way I want to. You are I? the chairman. I'm a chairman. Change the first order of business will be the welcome our newest commissioner. That's right. Uh, some uh, were with us at our last meeting, but since then we've had uh, at least four, three more, three new ones. I see somebody trying to not here. Uh, however, let me start with. Uh, introducing to you and let them introduce themselves to everybody else, two of our returning saints. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Giovanni Valeris, and to my right, look about yourself. Oh, okay. You weren't kidding. I am going to go first. That's so. right. Absolutely. All right. Well, hi, guys. I said returning saints. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Philip. Well, no, I got something else to do. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Giovanni Valderis. I am a visual artist, uh, advocate, Sometimes activists, and uh, I run a, an art gallery here in Deep Ellum called Kirk Hopper Fine Arts. Um, uh, it's great to be back. Uh, see a lot of new faces, which is always great. Uh, I see a lot of enthusiasm and optimism, so really excited about that. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Thank you, sir. Look forward to working with everyone. Well, thank you. Uh, and and to our left, another long distance returnee. Uh, Mr. Philip Collins. Mr. Collins. Good evening, everyone. I'm Philip Collins, and I'm the former chief curator of the African American Museum. And I served here on this committee uh, commission for many years uh, as at large and also for District 3, and served with Kay Collins and others as chair of the Public Arts Committee during my tenure. And I have returned. I'm anxious to meet all of you. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Megan, you please do one more too, because there is so new. Please. Sure. Hello, I'm Megan Bridgman. I'm the uh, newest District One Arts Commissioner. It's a pleasure to be here, and I hope to get to know all of you. And Joe, even though you were here last time, please do it again because there's so many new people. Ms. Taylor, I'm saying Joe, I'm sorry. Okay, and also for everyone's information, to my surprise and somewhat shock, I will have to take more Prozac than I generally take to these meetings. Philip Collins has been named by the council to be the new vice chair of the commission. Uh, that came along with his appointment. I don't know how he worked all of that out. Had they asked me, I would have given them some further, deeper advice. But welcome, Mr. Collins, Mr. Vice Chair. Thank you. And we will try to give you more to do than you did last time. When you <laughs> Help. Uh, okay. Uh, then the next item uh, for us at this particular time would be to approval of, no, I'm sorry, before minutes. Let's go directly to the public speakers and... Let's see if I have this correct. Please help me if I destroy your last name. Please forgive me. Mr. Chad El Corey? Chad El Thank you, sir. 
please. You have about three minutes. Uh, my name is Shadi Okuri. I'm the Executive Director of the Park Service in Tanzania. I'm here to advocate on behalf of the Elevator Project, a partnership between us cultural affairs and the team performing arts center. Our organization just launched its fifth season this past October with a tour of Seoul, South Korea, where we sold out three performances at the Seoul Arts Center. One of the important things for us was to be able to do the same thing for our own audience here in the city of Dallas. Even though we're starting our fifth season, we're still uh, a young and growing organization. We are very experienced in putting on concerts and performances, but we haven't had the funding and we need to be able to do that in the city of, of Dallas for our own audiences. Um, in 2016 alone, we produced 23 performances around the U.S. and Germany. In 2016, 17, 18 performances around the United States. And for the first time, the Elevated Product allowed our organization to produce its own concert in the heart of the city, the Dallas Arts District. Through the Elevator Project, something that's extremely important for organizations our size, we're able to be in basically with the best that the city has to offer, working with some incredible talent, producers to give us exactly what we wanted, in the space that we wanted, the dates that we wanted, and for us, that allows the chance to produce a world premiere of a new ballet called Lay Fairies, inspired by Lisa Heed, and a U.S. premiere of a work that was produced with Pride Relief and Soul Arts Center. In, in Korea. Uh, for us, that basically translates into two, two performances at about 85% capacity in the Dallas Arts District, an oversold concert on Saturday evening at 115% capacity, and a last minute added performance of matinee that just to accommodate to the demand. So I hope that you continue funding this program. I hope that you support it personally. It means a lot to organizations our size, and it's very, very um, important to the city as well. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Mr. Chris Honda. Hi, I'm Chris Honda with the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Jeff, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to piggyback on what he had to say. Their performances were absolutely outstanding, and I would really encourage you. Uh, we had another one in the season two of the Opera Cafe. You got the season right there down in front in the Opera Cabaret. Thank you. 
some uh, kind of information seminars in advance too, since it's the first time that we'll be doing the movie fund. And so we're excited about that. And I uh, just want to thank you all for your service. And uh, come see some shows. And on December 2nd, we have Reliant Light Show Holidays, which is an absolute free event out in, um, we take over Forest Street and out in front, we like turn on all the holiday lights at the center. And uh, Mbo is going to be performing. And um, Ray Lynn, the country singer, is going to be performing as well. Again, it's all free. It's a big family event. And you get about 8,000 people. And I think the first thousand, um, Reliant is handing out little Santa hats with little blakey ones. Oh, fun. So please come out and bring your family. Have a good time. Uh, uh, thank you, Chris. I, I just would hope that you would refrain from so much emphasis on in vogue. We're about to lose a couple of commissioners over here. Uh, they're ready to go in vogue now, <laughs> rather than complete commission meetings. So thank you very much. Uh, great work. Uh, okay, commissioners. The next uh, items, uh, thank both of you presenters, uh, by the way, you speakers very much for sharing with us today. Uh, you have two sets of minutes. Uh, they were asking you uh, to approve at this meeting, September 21st meetings and October 12th uh, minutes. Please just take a glance at those once more. seems like the glancing is about done. I mean, I have a motion to approve the minutes. We, we have a motion from Ms. Yo. Uh, second? Second from Ms. Riley, who, who finally joined us. We're so happy to have you, Ms. Riley. Okay, are there any questions? If not, we'd like to vote now. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Thank you. And that was for both? For both. Okay. Okay, the next agenda item will be voting items. Uh, we move directly to the uh, public act agenda. Uh, I will be uh, acting as the uh, oh. visuals behind this. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry, here. So I will be recommend initiation of planning for public art at the Bishop Art Station at 235 West David Street. Alamo and Manhattan is working with the Department of Economic Development in the development of the project at 5, I'm sorry, at 235 West David Street. The scope of the projects we developed provide an iconic public installation that is one, highly, highly visible, safe and free of ha hazards. Identifies the location as a community gathering place, enhancing the visual impact of the new development. Uh, Kay, why don't you take it from here if there are any questions? Okay, and, and then the, what you see on the screen have is in the packet as well, which shows the proposed location um, for uh, a public art sculpture that would be on the street down the property um, through um, the economic development um, department, which does have. Funding available for public art projects of this sort. So, this is 
is just to allow the public art team to initiate planning. <laughs> I think it's important to say, since this is the initiation part of the early initiation part of the process, that that information, a lot of what you're asking, will come back before you later in the process. It will go back to the Public Arts Committee. The Public Arts Committee then will come up with a final recommendation that will come back to you uh, to act on. This is consistent with other projects that we Please feel very comfortable in asking those questions. Those are important questions to ask now. We've got a lot of new members. They haven't been a part of the process whatsoever. But again, we've always had some lingering concerns as we go through these processes. And this is the best place for everybody to be informed as a body. So these are great questions and they're really right.
question of time. I think that our only happen wants to pay for the artwork and maintain the artwork for the license agreement with the city, then I, I support that. Are there other questions or comments? Please. Please. But we'll start, Tip I think, by Mr. Harnbuckle. Mr. Harnbuckle, and then we'll go to uh, Ms. Starr. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, the funding, could you explain the funding to us, please? The funding for this comes from the um, percent for art funding that is generated
Excuse me, sorry. Sorry, just can't have that right now. If anybody wants to speak a comment who has not spoken on this, and I'll come back around, start with Mr. Jesse, and then we'll come to Mr. Valderes to see if I don't understand. That would be the order. And I'll come back to you for another round. Okay. So the city bond money will be used to build the public art, but then unless there's an agreement otherwise, the city would have to pay to maintain it. Is it commonplace or a possibility to contract with Alamo Manhattan to pay for the cost of maintaining, given that they are the ones who are going to receive the primary benefit from this? It is possible to ask that question, and we do have other projects, and I don't even know the development of the park department, where we have local partnership agreements for maintenance with community groups. And it seems like this would be a circumstance for that. So my question is to Jesse. The idea of maintenance, if the city is required to take care of it, or maybe perhaps Alamo would make a commitment to somehow maintain it ongoing. I know there's maybe a representative, so maybe she could speak to that, if her company would be willing. No, we're not going to do that at this particular time. Right now, we will vote on the planning process. We will vote on the planning process, up or down. Also, if you want to add the idea as part of the issue for the maintenance, which is the final recommendation, that could also be made a part of the motion as a part of, you know, to go back and have that information come back to you. But right now, you're so early in the stage, we're not going to spend another two hours a day working out this project. But I think these are good questions for direction and guidance as we go forward. Are there other questions or comments? Well, I guess this will be round two, starting with Mr. Burke. No, please, please. This comes from economic development. I just think this is a rather than rubber stamping. Visually, it's going to look like it's part of the Alamo-Manhattan development. And I cannot imagine that we are going to rubber stamp a bond money from 2006 to put up a piece of artwork that's going to be paid for by the city, by the taxpayers of the city, that's going to benefit one project, essentially, or enhance one project. And it just boggles my mind that this is how that was set up. It doesn't mean we have to approve it. I don't know that I have a question. I'm just encouraging everybody. Well, okay, we appreciate the comment. You're reinforcing your comments. All right. Okay, are there – okay, Mr. Flowers. Okay, I know we talked about this quite a bit in the public art committee. Yes. But one question I didn't ask in that meeting was you said these types of projects have come before the committee before. How frequent is this? Is this once every two years or five years? It's not terribly frequent because economic development does not generate a substantial amount of funding for public art. The most recent one was 2010 to commission three sculptures that are in Waterfront 
next follow-up question. There's development going on all over the city. How did this one developer get changed to the community and to the process? Through the economic development firm. And that's how we um, find projects that match um, bond, the purpose for bond funding in every department. It's, it's with recommendations from the department. The streets, aviation, um, the park department, that's we would have. We work in tandem with them to, I guess, find projects that are appropriate. Okay, uh, Mr. Gonzalez, and I'll come to Ms. Yelp and uh, go back to you one more time, Mr. Public Arts Committee member, uh, and I'm going to bring this to a close and call for a vote. Please. I just want to follow up to what Neiman just brought up. Uh, have we done a project like this already with a developer, maybe something like that? Has yeah. it ever been done before? Yes, at Watercrest Park in 2010. With who? The with developer. Who was the developer? Do you remember? Oh boy, um, I do not remember the name of the developer. This is whoever developed the property. It is now. It was not originally. This is a public street. No, this Okay, before we start having these general conversations, excuse me, before we start having these general conversations, uh, we have an order. Uh, or your question no, answer I, I just wanted to see the, the, you know, we've done it before. What experience, what have we, uh, <coughs> did we learn anything or did we benefit out of it or anything like that? I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Let me see if I understand your question. Okay. First of all, I asked you, have the city ever done this before? Yeah. And you said yes. Okay, thank you, sir. We're going to wrap this up. Please. I just wanted to ask you, Kay, okay, do you know how much was still in this 2006 bond fund that would be allocated for this kind of bond? The bond still has $100,000 in it. That doesn't mean that the entire amount would be utilized in this location. And we would have to do, as we do for every project, an assessment of the scale and scope of the project to recommend it. Because I don't have to done that research. So if I understand you. Is that just the hundred thousand is just for this particular project? That's yes. your that's the total that's the total economic development.
I would like for the process to start, at least so we can see what they come up with, because I believe everyone made some good comments, but I would like to see the process started to see what happens. Okay, having attended that particular meeting, almost every question I've heard here today, I heard uh, asked by another group of panelists. Uh, the people that we were appointed include the commissioners that were there. All of this was discussed at one particular time, and they voted to move it forward here. I think the questions that you've asked today have been good questions. There have been questions for additional thought, and what I'd like to do at this particular time is, is call for the vote as to whether or not we want to forward the init initiate planning process. And if you want to have these additional uh, comments to follow the vote, if it goes forward, then I think that's appropriate as well. But I'd like to right now have a motion, if there is a motion, from the floor uh, as to whether or not we want to go forward uh, initiate the plan for this project. Mr. Mr. Chair, I'd like to make a motion that we move forward with the planning phase, the initial planning phase of this public art project. Okay, well, we have a motion, sir, so second by Ms. Johnson. Uh, Ms. Johnson. Uh, for the questions or comments at this particular time. If not, let's vote, since it was such a wonderful discussion, by at least a show of hands. Do we have a counter in the house? Oh, sorry. Staff, please do the counting. Is that no? Five. Six, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Opposed? Two, three, four. Okay, we move forward. Thank you. Uh, next item would be, and again, I really appreciate the discussion. I really appreciate ask, asking the questions because I think it sort of uh, furthers clarification or sort of defines what the commission understands. But remember also that everyone on that panel is also a citizen. Uh, uh, that, that, that's, that's supported and, and a taxpayer as well. So uh, many of the same kind of concerns, I mean, because I heard that mentioned here, uh, we're talking about the taxpayers, well, they're all taxpayers, so I think, but uh, it's really important to not be afraid to raise the hand and ask the questions. So at least the people who are involved in the process will go back with a sense of what this commission is considering, and thank you. Okay, the next item would be recommend revision of scope of project for Rawls Public Avenue Life. A meeting with the Bryan Place Neighborhood Association on October 5th, uh, 2017, outlining a revised scope of project for resulted in unanimous support for a light art installation at the Ross Avenue underpass.
I was nodding about San Antonio. <laughs> I think uh, I don't want to leave out of overlook the fact that uh, this office uh, has worked with the uh, Office of Homeless Solutions. Uh, TxDOT, there's, there's, that's quite a group of individuals all working on this project. They're concerned with mitigating, if you will, some challenges faced with the homeless population who has been in the area. I think in the meetings, uh, if I recall correctly, they spent more time talking about that than any other aspect of this project. Uh, how the community felt about a positive way of, of mitigating those uh, situations, and it was felt pretty much uh, uh, by by the panel when they put this forward that this 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 project activity would go quite a distance and uh, being helpful as a helpful solution to some of those challenges. Are there questions or comments that any of you sitting around the table have on this project? Yes, sir. Just real quick comment. I'm, I'm a little more optimistic that I-345 will be removed <laughs> and uh, replaced with upgrade boulevards in the next 10 to 15 years. So I, I only say that because um, in, within the context of this project, you, you mentioned it could be they could be removed, but I, I would include that in the RFP and, and, and mention that just to be sure that um, you know maybe down. 10 years, 15 years down the road, um, if it is removed, just make sure we get the benefit of that, at least some of that $200,000 be spent. And then that that lighting could go light up one of our other, you know, elevated eyesores. And great natural, beautiful light will be able to uh, lead us into the dark system. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. So. Commissioner Smith, there was quite a vigorous discussion uh, uh, among the panelists uh, with, with that same uh, uh, recommendation. 
I don't know, Kay, if it's possible to make that a part of our fee process, but I think that certainly should be a very, very, very strong sentence sent back from this commission over that concern. And I know it was shared that the lighting could be used in multiple other applications should this I-35 or whatever it is be removed, rerouted, or reconfigured. Yes. Yes. Okay, with that part of the discussion, Mr. Santamaria? Yes, there's a question. I get the idea that a limited amount of money can be
Opposed? Okay. Thank you, Ken. And public art staff. And the fourth item. The next item is approval of cultural plan steering committee. You should all have an attached list before you. Okay, we're going to open up for discussion. Mr. Valderas begins. Hi. So I was I took a look at the list and I went down and uh, so I started to notice that I'm a little concerned with the amount of independent artists who are on here. Um, I think if we think about it in the, in the bigger scheme of things, uh, a lot of I think this is a good list. Don't get me wrong, but I think that we could maybe benefit by adding more independent artists who aren't affiliated with any organization or have any interest in the organizations that receive money from, or funds from the city. Uh, so so I, if I could make a friendly amendment to add a provision to create uh, an open appointment uh, period to add additional members or commissioners uh, to the cultural plan steering committee with us, of course, cultural affairs commission approval. Um, if I'm... Go ahead, please respond. Oh, um, you mentioned this is the first of the um, a couple of things. I think we've shared this three times now, so um, it has been somewhat fluid. Members have already joined and rolled off because they moved or they got appointed to something else. So it is fluid, so I'm open to that conversation. However, we told council in July when we formulated a memo that we were going to be bringing it to you all, and the process has been going since July. So. I'd like to kind of formalize at least the people that have been serving since then. And I would ask that we not stack the steering committee with commissioners. The whole purpose is that they meet and talk and look at the work and then bring it to you all. And if commissioners are there, that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, they are stakeholders. At one point, this was called a stakeholder committee. Previous culture plans called it a leadership council. The whole idea is that they work with the consultants. They see the data. Um, John Paul and Lori, who's the steering committee, um, task steering task, uh, strategic planning task force uh, chair, um, is on this. But I, I would say, if, if, if we have talked to the consultants, it is not supposed to be a subcommittee of the commission. That is not the purpose. Um, you guys will get your chance to weigh in, I assure you. You advise counsel. So the way it works is they meet with the consultants. The consultants have presented to you all when they've been in town and we will um, definitely make that as part of the January meeting. But um, I'm much more interested if you want to add artists than I am putting commissioners on the steering committee. That was not the intent. For your comment, Mr. Might, I think you had your hand up. Uh, comment? I was, just, uh, asked, I, was, I was curious what percentage you might want to shoot for for independent artists, because if you count up the positions, there's 40 on here now, reasonably made up that you consider Independent, that's 20%, 20%. So I'm curious what percentage you might be shooting for if you think it's, it's sufficient. May I feel out the answer? Sure. Uh, I'm hoping like maybe four to five. And this also includes the idea because artists are 
you know, not, not, they don't always have the commitment as far as like people who represent the bigger organizations because they can get paid to be there. So if an artist happens to roll off, if he can't, he or she cannot commit, I think it's a really great benefit to be able to add another artist on to take that role. So maybe an additional four, but also keep in mind that maybe we need to add some other artists in case they roll off. Other comments or questions? I just want to clarify the process that we're going through. Are we to just vote on the entire list? Yes. Cherry pick? Yes. Cherry pick? Yes, no, vote on the entire list. And council was encouraged to submit names, which they did. You all saw this last month. Thank you for the incredible addition of Mr. Brown. So, you know, it has been very iterative, very open. I'm open to additions. However, I would like for this group to be voted on today, and then we can talk about how we might add. Well, I think it's also important that we all hear that the list is fluid. There are still people going off. There's an opportunity to do some amended appointments, quite frankly, and follow up to Mr. Valdez's recommendations. That can be handled. But I know we don't have all year to get it done. Mr. Flowers. First, I really want to commission on two things. First of all, I'm glad to see that you've got the TF Foundation on here. And Louis McMahon is a wonderful person. He was one of the first people on. Yes. How often, Lori, will this group meet? How do you manage this many people? And the last thing. Funny you should ask. I have yet to be to a meeting. There's a variety of different events. So, honestly, I don't know anything yet. And sometimes I'm a trailblazer just by trying to get my name on a list so that I can go to meetings. We've told them six to eight meetings. Many of them have coordinated events on behalf of the cultural plan in addition. So a good example is Erica Felicella, who got us to two ArtCon events. A good idea, a good example are Charles from Titus and Charles Santos and Zanetta Drew that said, please come cultural plan to my Dance Africa Fest or this event. So a lot of these people are stakeholders in the plan and they have constituents and they represent the arts ecosystem. So they're saying, cultural plan, I need you here. Just like city council is, just like Mrs. Gates when she said, you know what, Vickery Meadow with Carol leaving, here's my stake, my task force in Vickery Meadow, cultural plan, go. So it's working both ways. You know, we don't need more meetings. That's really not the point so much as it is being in the loop so that people are advocates for the plan. Further questions, comments? We'll come back here to Mr. Valdez. So Jennifer, could you, I guess, explain for us new guys or ladies as well, how does the cultural plan work as far as does the steering committee make the suggestions that goes before the commission for approval? I mean, it's staff driven. So that's the whole, the staff is ultimately responsible. So they are kind of like our kitchen cabinet. The formal approval of all cultural plan will be you guys. So we run it by them, just like we're going to update you guys today and run by where we are today. When we plan community meetings, we say it's at the West Dallas Multipurpose Center. 
Commissioner X, please come. City Council member, please come. Please invite your neighborhood association presidents and steering committee. Here's the schedule. So, I mean, it's all, you know, there's so many different stakeholders. Council needs to know that the arts community supports this work. They need to know that as their policy advisors, you all are informed and support the, the plan. Um, so it's, it's not like it's a, you know, up and down straight line, but they are helping us activate it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I guess I have a follow up. Would commissioners be able to attend these meetings? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's a, probably the best question I think I've heard uh, asked, and it should be asked at every meeting, quite frankly. Commissioners are able to attend any and every meeting that we have out there. They really should. And I, we've asked constantly that when those dates are set, mm -hmm. that the notices are always sent out to all commissioners. So I'm glad you brought that. That's really important. The and next I think meeting, that's one of the best places, quite frankly, to get information by attending those meetings. The next meeting is 99% certain to be Thursday, the 25th of January. 25th. And I mean, Hadi Mawaja from KRA has attended two of them, I think. So. I mean, it can't be more public than Art and Seek. I have a follow-up to that one, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, would commissioners be allowed to make comments or suggestions and give feedback? They're very informal, yes. And by the way, I mean, there are people that attend the steering committee meetings, say nothing, and then take me out and talk to me for two hours. So, you know, to think that everything happens in a steering committee meeting is also not the case. Just like if you haven't attended multiple, at this point, community <clears throat> meetings, I mean, this is... You know, people have called Joy Bailey Bryant out of the blue and said, you know, I attended one of these. I think staff is doing this right. I think staff is doing this wrong. I'm fine with that, you know, even though we're paying her. <laughs> so far, it hasn't caused too much of a problem. Uh, so it's a very open, iterative process. Okay. Uh, I, I think this great questions. Um, <coughs> the idea, I, I just want to close on this and move to the next uh, uh, area. but. The idea of can commissioners say something, I think they should. But most cultural planning process that I know of, if they have been dominated by commissioners and people have been very reluctant to speak up. So I just think one just to me need to be thoughtful as a commissioner. Because the, the one of the most incredible uh, resource and experiences one can have is truly listening to somebody other than yourself. Uh, and, and, and people who are necessarily may not, the way this planning process is taking place, I think the, your question is so absolutely appropriate, is that uh, there are people in communities speaking that this commission, that the arts community have never heard. And they're speaking, they feel welcome, they are, uh, they, they are involved in a process that's very dynamic, that's very welcoming, that's, 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 that's uh, very encouraging uh, for them to speak up. But I think it's really important for commissioners also to be unafraid to speak because you are a taxpayer and a citizen, an artist or a patron, whatever you might be, you certainly have a point of view. And I think for the first time we may fully have something that really is culturally planned by a community of citizens as opposed to by community interests. And I think that's, that's a real, we really have an opportunity with this process. So I thank you for the question. I think it's the right question at the right time for the right group of people. Chair, may I, may I reassert my motion so maybe we can get that? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I would like to make a motion for amendments to add a provision to create an uh, open appointment period to add additional members. 
Our commissioners to the cultural plan and steering committee with CAC approval. Our second. You've heard the motion has been seconded by Mr. Harn Buckle. All in favor? Please count. Is there a certain number? Well, yeah. If you have 19 members that are present today. No, I know. A certain number of positions. Oh, oh, oh. No, no. Did you add a number? Sorry, four. Okay, I thought. I wanted to clarify that. Okay. Thanks. Four. Okay. Number four. That should be added to the thought. Okay. Okay, again, please hold your hands up so we can be sure. Opposed? It passes. Thank you, sir. Okay. The next item. I want to bring everybody's attention at this time. What time is it? It is 5.30. Okay. At this time, I want to bring everybody's attention to this is called a briefing. So let's try to be brief as we go through this in terms of our time. Succeed and brief with our time so we can move forward. But I am so happy, Ms., to have the Mr. Attorney. Burke and Burke. Yes, sir. He's been just a fantastic, quite frankly, resource for not only us, but I think for the city of Dallas. So thank you, sir, for being with us. So now, buddy, to make us feel good and get us through this. Mr. Chair, with your permission, I'd like to stand up next to the screen. Yes, sir, by all means. By all means. Please, by all means. No one's ever said they couldn't hear me, so. To begin, my name is Burke Vandenberg. I'm an assistant city attorney for the city of Dallas. You may know me from such exciting meetings as the Mayor's Confederate Monument Task Force. I'm going to talk to you guys about the Texas Open Meetings Act. I do a number of trainings. I work with a lot of boards and commissions. This morning I did an executive session, two executive sessions with the City Planning Commission, and worked on a briefing with them, and now I'm here. I also have another training for Parliament, Parliamentary Procedure. I have to say you are wonderfully lucky to have such a fabulous chair. I've watched him in a number of situations, and we should all be so lucky with all the boards and commissions. That being said, I'm going to move forward with the Texas Open Meetings Act. I'm going to try to make it fast for you all. I know you guys have a lot on your plate. It's a little, it seems a little long. It's really not. I'm going to gloss over a few things. There's a thing that says that governmental bodies are subject to the Texas Open Meetings Act unless they're an advisory body. You guys are mostly an advisory body, but that doesn't mean you're exempt from the Open Meetings Act. You guys are a creation of the Dallas City Code, and that makes you subject to the Open Meetings Act. So I'm not going to waste time talking about the exceptions, et cetera. I just want you guys to know really what the fundamentals of the Texas Open Meetings Act are. Toma. Open meetings. Every regular special or public meeting or session of every governmental body should be open to the public. That's from the Texas government code. And it's mandatory, but more important than that, the public has a statutory right and just a general right to see its government in action. The little joke, aha. What is a governmental body? A governmental body includes a city council. It includes a deliberative body with rulemaking or quasi-judicial power. Think of board of adjustment. Think of city plan commission. The governing body is a special district created by law. And you guys. Y'all. Y'all. Fun fact, 
the average human body contains enough bones to make an entire human skeleton. Think about that. Um, advisory bodies. Toma does not apply purely advisory bodies, but we're skipping that. What else does Toma cover? To trigger the Toma provisions, there must be a quorum of the members of the government body. And I guess there's 18 of y'all, so your staff are saints to have 18. Um, public business that the government body has authority to supervise or oversee is deliberated or discussed. If you all run into each other at the zoo and talk about zoo things, probably not going to trigger it. Deliberated or discussed includes receiving information, giving information, asking questions. It means basically every human interaction. Um, and including receiving questions from a third party if someone just explaining what I'm doing to you guys right now. Uh, this can be for either a meeting in which the government body participates or for which the government body is responsible if you guys are sponsoring an event or uh, trainings. Sometimes trainings, those, those are uh, when people forget to post sometimes. The items of community interest. A government body may receive information from a member of its body or from a staff member without notice being given. If the this is the only time you guys get to do this. Is, is if it's an item of community interest. You don't have to have a notice on the agenda for this. It's things like expressions of thanks, congratulations, someone's leaving the board or giving them the, the uh, little uh, statuette or whatever. Information regarding holiday schedules. We recognize someone in the audience and give a little shout out real quick. Um, and it's not for purposes of, of the meeting itself. A reminder about an upcoming event organized or sponsored by the governing body and information regarding social, ceremonial, or community event organized or sponsored by an entity other than the government. Very, very small things that are just, hey, don't forget to show up on Wednesday. And finally, this one, announcements involving an imminent threat to the public health and safety of people in the political subdivision that has arisen after posting of the agenda. Really, you don't want to think that one doesn't have to be written because if the city's on fire, everybody should probably just run. Uh, deliberate or discuss. Every human interaction, basically, but it's actually a little trickier than that. One thing you have to remember is that this, this particular one, this, this, this is like a Facebooky type thing. It's, you have to have the city sponsoring the website that it's working off of. City of Dallas doesn't do that. That's not you. Um, quorum means the majority, I guess it's 10, 9, 10, 10 of you guys. Uh, it can be established electronically by email. That's another reason Reply All is one of the worst inventions ever made. Because that could be a violation. If staff sends everybody a thing and one of you responds with Reply All, in effect, you're communicating with the whole body and you've just created a quorum and you might be discussing public business. Um, it can be established verbally or via telephone, that's pretty obvious. And it does not need to be established in real time. If I took, if one of you took the time to go to each one of you, one after the other, it's not in real time, but you, you've managed to go to everybody. Uh, so warning, warning, danger. Walking forum. Yes, sir. So if we do want to communicate with the commission or get a message to them. We've been going through Cliff. Point it wrong. And Cliff can send it out all day. On our behalf on, because he's because he's, he's staff and he's, he's not staff. he's not communicating with the board. He's just relaying information. Okay. I mean, 
There's probably a couple parameters on that, but as a general rule, Cliff is okay with that. Okay. And if not, it's not. Walking quorums. So walking quorums you've probably heard of. It's sort of the big no-no, the big taboo. It's where people deliberately try to circumvent the Texas Open Meetings Act by meeting in small groups, by meeting one at a time, by just trying to get around it. But in effect, they have created the quorum just not at the meeting, and it's to discuss public business. I like that physical gathering. So the one they're talking to here, the mayor and the city manager got together, and the city manager sat outside, the mayor sat inside, and the city manager ushered in several city council members at a time so that there was never a quorum in there. They came to their decision, walked outside, threw a quick vote, and they were done. No one had anything to say. So that's a walking quorum. I mean, that's a really big walking quorum. Here's the actual example. The governmental bodies walk around the state and run into a walking quorum. So there's Katy, Travis County, Irving. Shame on Irving. Open meetings, Texas public generally excludes purely social gatherings. When you guys all get together for the holiday cocktail party, that's all right. National conventions and workshop training sessions. I will say this. Sort of the rule on a lot of the boards and commissions I work with for workshops and trainings, even if it's something like sponsored in Fort Worth, we will post it on our website and say a quorum of the city planning commission may be at this particular event. But caution, if you guys are all still at the cocktail party and then all start discussing something that's on next week's agenda, shame, shame, and forsooth, you've just violated, you've at least gone three-quarters of the way to violating the Texas Open Meetings Act. There has to be an intent to, but do you want to defend yourself saying, oh, we had no intent to circumvent? In the eternal words of Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, when in doubt, post it. Written notice of the date, hour, place, and subject of each meeting must be given at least 72 hours before the meeting. When I went to the first, the meeting that you guys had to discuss the Confederate monuments, the first thing I did was look at your guys' agenda and notice that the chairman's report just said chairman's report. And you'll notice that it has to be sufficient to inform the public of the subject matter to be addressed in the meeting. It cannot simply be categories like litigation or personnel or chairman's report. And I do note that on this agenda, the chairman's report has several, several items on it. The more important the subject is to the public, the more specificity the agenda should have. Yes, sir. Back to the law forum. So can we talk to each other about public business? Like, can I talk to one or two people? As long as I don't reach the quorum. Yeah, as long as you don't talk to two and then two more and then two more until you get to ten. And you're not intending to circumvent. It would be... So I could get nine votes? I'm going to go to the next slide. But this is important. The more important it is, the more information the agenda should get. The idea that... I forget what the actual phrasing in the Open Meetings Act is about it. 
But the general rule is, if people really care about it, you better let them know about it. Um, emergency meetings or supplemental posting. I don't think you guys are going to be dealing with any public life, safety, and health issues that would allow you guys to do an emergency meeting. So we'll move on. What if we forgot to post an item? No. Can't be discussed. Uh, but you can say, hey, with staff, please add this to the next agenda. Um, you can recess to the following business day. If your guys' meetings are going that long, you might want to have them earlier in the day. <laughs> um, so there's some little clever ones in that. But you can't adjourn and then say, oh, we forgot to do something and start back up. You're done. Um, governmental body must keep, I like this, must keep minutes or tape recording of the open meeting. So it's 1990, what? With your tape recorders out there. Um, the minutes have to stay the subject. This is really a staff kind of thing. And I assume, I've seen, I think it was Cliff's notes, right? Oh, I just thought of that. Um, that, uh, yeah, he's got this wired, so. One thing you know, the public is allowed to make audio-visual records of the opening meeting. Uh, I've been on, I was on the board of, uh, board of Adjustment, I think, back in 2007-ish, maybe 2007 to like 2009. And they've been doing a documentary on Henderson. And we had a camera crew that just, every time anything with Henderson comes up, they come and film us. It's, it's a dad and daughter. They're very nice. And at a TABC hearing I was at with them, they uh, mentioned how much weight, weight I had lost during the filming. It was fabulous. A meeting may not be being unless a quorum is present. Governmental, there's, and there's some new rules on this in Chapter 8 of the Dallas City Code that I'm not going to go into right now, but I'll tell staff about it. Or Cliff already knows, I think. But governmental bodies will be taking action on the items posted. You can discuss items, not on the agenda, but the session is saying, hey, please put it on a future agenda. Or in the case of a public speaker, you can factually answer a question. Like, is the CPC meeting next Thursday? Yes, they are. Uh, a public hearing, I don't know, are you guys a public hearing or are you guys a public meeting? Okay, public hearing, the public has a right to speak, if you heard but you can limit them. Public meeting, the public has a right to attend, but no right to speak. And the government body must be public, no anonymous or secret ballots. Closed sessions, do you guys ever have closed executive sessions? Yes, sir. I have a question about the public hearing. Yes, sir. Individuals can get up and speak, but do you have to sign up like, the day before? That is, a, that is a policy decision of the of the body. Uh, so a lot of them do it, but if you just show up at city council and you're at the end of the day, you generally get to, you get to speak. Uh, for items on an agenda like the city plan commission, there's no sign up. You just show up and when your agenda item is read, whoever wants to talk gets up and there, there's some rules about how long everybody gets, but yeah, they just get to do it that way. And, and, and sometimes yeah, there's also option to share times if you want to allow people to speak. Um, let's see. So I don't know if you guys ever do closed sessions. Closed sessions is a nice little meeting with your attorney. It's basically like meeting with your attorney at your office or wherever, but it's in the meeting. Everybody gets kicked out. You guys meet with them or her. And, uh, um, and, and there's a little script we give you that says you're meeting with the city attorney and, and complies with section 551.071. Yeah. 
And then we go in there and we, and we, keep, a, we keep minutes of it. The, we record board and commission executive sessions, but not the city council. They choose to do the meetings route, or the minutes route. Uh, you, can't, you cannot vote during an executive session. You can't even try to figure out what the vote is gonna be. And also, non-essential people are not allowed to be in there, because otherwise you would be violating the attorney-client privilege. Uh, no straw votes. Uh, penalty provisions, always interesting. Well, somewhat interesting. These, most of these, viol there's, there's really two types of, of uh, penalties for violating the Texas Open Meeting Act. There's the criminal ones, well I guess it's true, there's the criminal ones, there's the, the civil ones that affect what you've done, and the third one would sort of be, did you make an ethics violation, and how did it just appear and erode the public trust? The, the misdemeanors are all, uh, I think they're class I want to say fine them 100 to 500 dollars, confine them county to jail. But I, I, but this is knowingly conspires to circumvent the number <laughs> lesson. You, you're knowingly trying to circumvent using a walking quorum. I know people have been convicted. I don't know that anybody's ever gone to jail. Uh, if you aid them, I mean, if you're an accomplice and it's a conspiracy. There you go. It wasn't properly noticed. It wasn't properly convened. There's no applicable exception. Same thing. Um, Freeport broke meetings law. You know, prosecution. It, it does happen. Um, this is for a closed meeting and you, and you leak the information out. Shame, shame. Certified agenda class B, it's class B misdemeanor. You can tell lawyers wrote this because if you violate the, the trust of the lawyer, it's a, it's a worse penalty. <laughs> um, this is probably more interesting, and I don't really know how it affects y'all since mostly since you guys really do recommendations. I, I, I've never seen it followed all the way through. Is that for a body that makes that really makes the, the final decision? Any action that's done in violation of HOMA is voidable. It's not void to start with, but it could be voided if someone brought the action. So that's 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 kind of a heavy a heavy blow. Mm -hmm. And you can uh, and anyone can bring that. The so the rules are always posted, always be conscious of quorums, uh, never try to circumvent it. Consult with the seventh floor if you ever have any questions. Just call the city attorney's office. I guess for y'all that would be Barbara Martinez. Yes. I'd be love to give you her phone number. <laughs> um, and when in doubt, post it and never reply all ever, ever, ever. Because that's just terrible, terrible. Um, if I come back to do my parliament uh, presentation, y'all love it. It's full of parliament funkadelics. Really great. Um, anyway, so that's my presentation. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Great job. Great job. Okay. Uh, I want to try to keep us moving if we can at this particular point. Um, we're going to go right to meeting, meeting attendance mm -hmm. requirements, right to meeting attendance requirements. Cliff's going to do this. Okay, I will be very, very quick. I'm going to talk back here, presentation up there, and you have it in front of you. Um, so more city code, more rules and procedures. Uh, so city code, uh, chapter 8, which is boards and commissions, uh, section 20 provides for attendance requirements for all city boards and commissions. Um, it states that the member of the board meets monthly, 
who is absent from more than 25% of the regular meetings during any 12 month period, whether excused or not, shall result in a forfeiture of the position. So, for the Cultural Affairs Commission, this typically means that three absences during any 12 month period will result in a forfeiture of the position. Uh, so typically, uh, 10 meetings a year, usually the July and December meetings are canceled. So, I've got several scenarios. I won't go through all these. I do want to bring your attention to uh, scenario four. This trips people up from time to time. So, uh, in this example, uh, we've got 10 regular meetings in a year, and it may be busy, a busy year, and there's three special meetings in a year. Um, uh, in this case, one in November, one in February, and one in August. So, in total, there are 13 meetings that year, and
But that does mean that it's the fourth Thursday of the month in the month of March. Um, and do you have to formally say we're not having a meeting in December? Well, we do. We're just affirming what we okay. have. That's what's been so, our practice. Yeah, our practice is always, you know, no meeting in July and no meeting in December, which we are putting out. So your next meeting would not be until January mm -hmm. for everybody, particularly new people who haven't been through the process. The next commission meeting will not be until January. And then public art committee um, is the next slide, and they had to move a couple of those because of Labor Day weekend and things like that. Um, th those are on the first Tuesdays, but they're not meeting on January 2nd since it's the first day back to work kind of thing. And then um, last but not least is the allocations committee that's on the second Tuesdays. So we kind of have one meeting a month, one meeting every week from public art, allocations, and um, the regular commission. Any questions, comments? Yes, sir. Uh, Jennifer, like, I guess who decides the meetings for the, the subcommittees, like, for example, allocations, like the times? Who decides that? Um, who decides it? I think it's been staff and whoever's chairing the committee. Um, but it's most of these, my understanding, have long been long standing. Uh, next item. Do you want to go to liaison? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Uh, well, John Paul spent a long time looking, I know there's so many of y'all that are new, but uh, something that the OCA does really rely on, since we have a small team and we have so many organizations, is the role that you all play as liaisons, and um, it's the chairman who um, assigns them, but a lot of times it's also about what's happening in your district, or if you have a particular expertise based on your professional background. Um, so here is the proposed list for this year. Um, I would say we are working on doing a written report. I know a lot of times at the end of the meeting it's liaison reports and people are busy and they're trying to get out. We are going to propose, we haven't quite pulled it together yet, a very short form that you could email in. You could say, I'm the liaison to Big Thought. They've hired a new CEO. His or her name is this. They start this date. You know, just kind of those high-level updates that you would get. If y'all are amenable to that, I mean, certainly if people want to still make a report. Well, look, it doesn't work cleanly in adding, going around the table, asking everybody for an individual report. It was embarrassing to some, and it was too long for most. Yeah. Uh, it added generally an additional 30 to sometimes 45 minutes uh, that we really just needed to spend around this table, quite frankly. Uh, so what we were trying to do and take what I've tried to do was take the comments I received as we have gone through that process from commission and truncate it. Uh, make it brief, make it tight, make it focused, uh, and, and get it done. The, the one thing I would only add about the liaison yeah. situation, and I talked to Jennifer about this, and maybe some staff who have been around, if not staff, somebody that's old as pepper like uh, Philip Collins may, may, may be able to clean this up for me. But what I recall is uh, what I've been able to discover in the process Liaisons as were initially created not just quote unquote to assist the staff out, but to deal with the question of an overview of uh, these organizations move in the area of diversity. Quite frankly, that's why they were initially created. And basically, I guess they were spies, I guess, for the commission or something to give the commission sort of a review and an update. Well, I think that to me that 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 that. that 
for the few years I've been here, I found that not to work at all. I don't think I could remember two reports uh, during the entire uh, six and a half years I've been here hearing anything about those kinds of things. I've heard great reports about the capacity of the organization, about attendance, about some challenges with, with, with funding maybe needs. Uh, always great, uh, great comment about the, the quality of program and that that commission saw. So what we thought, rather than sitting around, what I thought, rather than sitting around the table and having three hours of conversations with people having to make up things on the spot, that basically if we would say a minimum of two times a year, at best if you're a liaison to go to the organization, at least meet the director, at least meet a member of the board, you really are not a board member, you're an ad hoc guest at best, uh, uh, and so it's a nice thing to do so that organization knows that there is a living, breathing human being uh, that they have a relationship with OCA to share with as well. And it also gives us as an organization an opportunity to hear from a commissioners uh, uh, their observations about, quote, unquote, uh, the performance of an organization that we have a relationship with. Uh, and I think those things very simply uh, can be measured uh, and we can report back on uh, in some a thoughtful kind of way. But even to do that, to try to have the reports done briefly, uh, I suggested that we just put together a small bullet, one-page form, with maybe three or four bullets, quite frankly, uh, with uh, prompting questions that a commission might have to ask for, and that's enough. And then one other thing that's very helpful, if you have an organization that has had issues with a grant program, we had an organization last year that decided to close ArtReach, you know, you, it is helpful to come with that organization if they need to have a conversation with Charla and her team or me. You know, we probably have three of those a year. Where there's an organization that, one organization forgot to fill out their COP application. You know, it's not my favorite meeting to sit down, but it does help, you know, the, I think to have a commissioner there helps staff and the organization. I really do. And that's the kind of liaison things that, you know, you may kind of need to <laughs> to come to. Yes. So, to both of y'all's points, uh, some organizations seem open and welcome, like the Sanders Center, right? When I try to go every third meeting or so, I'll say, come in, my packet's ready, they offer me a seat at the table, and everything's really great. And so the other organizations are just like, oh, nice to meet you, who are you again? When are your board meetings? Oh, I don't know. I mean, is there any is there any chance from our side we can huh? say these are the things that we would like to see proactively done from your organization? So, like, like how to get the most out of your liaison? Well, and please let us know when there's an artistic experience that yeah. we should come to, an opening or a, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. like the Center Center understands the role for us, the strength of the person and what they do or not do as they, their aces. But then some of the other ones are like, well, I don't know what I'm already having money and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with you now. Well, I, I think you're on point. I mean, I think the response from organizations and my experience have been really all across the board. 90% of them, I think, are happy to have a commission yeah, show up. Uh, there are some organizations, and one of the largest in this town, who's never responded to any liaison that's ever been sent to them. Never invited them, never welcomed them, they got their report, and everything back. But of course, if we don't have some way to measure it, to follow it in some 
formalized all the way, I think it's useful for both the organization as well as for us. But if we're going to continue the liaison, I would like us to tighten it up, focus it, and make it measurable. So I think you'll – I think overall you're going to find fine folk are very welcoming. But many times they are doing business that they don't want a commissioner sitting in the room, as we all do in our private businesses. They are independent private organizations. While they have a grant from the city, this does not make them – you know, we don't own them. And I think some of the problems that we face has been because of some of the behavior and responses of some of our commissioners who sort of really stepped over the board. As a chair, let me be very, very clear. I have been asked never to send a certain person or two back to their organization under any – Is that why my list is so much shorter? No, let me just speak why his list is so much shorter, because everybody needs to know that. This man has visited more organizations consistently than any commissioner I've ever seen on any human – he's got a problem. I'm trying to – you know how an addict has this – they have this tendency – they – I have not found the therapy for him yet that I could send him to. I mean, he's absolutely extraordinary in terms of the information. But I'm really trying to be sure that we spread it around as much as possible and we do, and the commissioners have an opportunity to see and know as much as possible about what really happens in the arts community and how really arts are, what their real challenges are, what their real successes are, quite frankly. I mean, they're very real people doing this work. And those interactions, I think, are to our benefit as well as to theirs. Questions, other questions or comments about it? Yes, ma'am. So when I was appointed as liaison with you three, you sent a letter, they kept contact with me, and that all worked out fine. I now notice that I have Teatro Dallas down here. Will you send them a letter and try to get that? I will send no letters, but what the staff will do is the staff will prepare. There's a form letter. The only thing I would like to add to the process this time is that when the letters go out from the staff, the letter goes out to the commissioner at the very same time. So the commissioner knows that the letter has been out. So if they get a call, it's not just, quote, unquote, a cold call. And that's a great example. They have a new artistic director. Yes. Yeah, I know. You get to shepherd her. Okay, further question to come is, and I'm not going to uh, uh, push you to, to be too succinct, because, again, you won't be meeting until January again. So this has been a very full agenda, and I really want us to try to get through everything that we have on the agenda today, particularly not only because uh, over more than one-fourth of this commission is absolutely needed. Yeah. And so they, a lot of these processes are new to them, and so we want to try to inform everybody as deeply, but as briefly I was about to say, I, I, I'm going to feel free to ask questions kind of as we go maybe, then I'll take it section by section. Um, I'm going to do the cultural planning first, though, because it is so important, and we have um, had so much going on. Thank you all for attending the events, and we have some uh, concrete things we can ask you all to be thinking about and doing. Um, how do I do this? Okay, there you go. Um, so hopefully you have seen our logo. But since we launched the last week uh, of September, to kind of recap you in, of the work in the last, I don't know what that is, six weeks, um, we have had four citywide kickoff engagement meetings, seven community conversations. Those were mostly at the cultural centers and city facilities like the West Dallas Multipurpose Center. 
We've attended 10 existing events that we were invited to or we invited ourselves to, things like ArtCon, things like the, the rehearsal for the Turtle Creek Corral, the target for Saturday was at the Nasher, and um, Vickery Meadow Community Action Task Force, I think is what that stands for at the end there. Those are the kinds of events that we are showing up at, events that are not necessarily cultural events. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Um, our team um, has conducted more than 40 stakeholder conversations. They have done more than half of city council right now. They've talked to artists, organizational leaders, donors. Again, if you think there are people that have interesting viewpoints that our team needs to speak with, now is the time. Um, we're doing a lot by phone, but when they come to town, uh, they, I had them meeting from 7 in the morning one day until 4.30 with like 30 minutes for lunch. So we stack them. Um, there are online digital mapping activities, online surveys. Um, there are a lot of focus groups that we've already conducted, but we have more coming. For example, Kay's public art focus groups are going to kick off after the new year. We just haven't had time. Um, the the, the non-arts organizations that are supported by the OCA think the Hall of State, um, the Holocaust Museum, the Perot, they felt a little ignored in this, so we're going to have a focus group for them. You know, there are a lot of constituents on this plan, and so again, we can't do it all in seven weeks. That was never our intent, but you know, if you're hearing that, let us know because we can get on top of it. So, from now until January, you'll notice I'm not giving you a list of cultural plan events. And the reason why is people have a lot going on this time of year. And um, that includes you all, that includes our staff. So they're kind of taking a step back and saying, we're gonna analyze what we've been doing. And the robust civic engagement right now is really focusing on those focus groups, stakeholder interviews, and attending existing events. Everything from Art Mart, which is this weekend at the Bath House, to the Jesuit Bazaar, to um, they went to Grove Fest, which is a huge event in Pleasant Grove. I worked the Mockingbird Bridge opening, which was just beautiful, because um, I used to live in that neighborhood and that bridge was long awaited. Um, so if you know of events, please let us know too and we'll try to get a, and get a team out. Um, our consultants now have enough data to start analyzing it. Um, you know, there's no point in analyzing it when you have 200 sample sizes because it's going to be skewed, whatever you have. But we're starting to kind of feel like we can suss some things out. And then really interesting, um, one of the things that was in the initial scope of work, and, you know, I kind of forget about it sometime, but I think it's going to be very informative, is that they are doing a full benchmark of what OCA does in our city under our form of government against peer cities. And uh, right when we were developing this list, Harvey hit. So Houston unveiled a cultural plan in 2016 or 15, and we have actually taken them off the list. The reality is their theater district flooded. They have a lot of other things going on there, and it's just not, I even feel bad calling for a benchmark interview, you know. Um, so we are looking at Austin, Charlotte, Denver, and Phoenix for our benchmark cities. Um, and that's, that was, you know, a long conversation with the consultants, talking to other people. When I go to conferences, my peers, um, you know, we are not Chicago or D.C. or New York. And, and I don't want to, as much as I'm interested in what they do, and I watched the New York Cultural Plan very closely, um, I'm not sure it's that instructive for Dallas. And so if you all have questions about that, I still enjoy hearing about those cities, but I don't want to necessarily consider them our peers. 
Um, and then the next round of cultural plan public meetings, the ones that we're hosting, that we're convening, um, will be starting again after the new year. And so we have a few council districts that we just, for whatever reason, didn't get on the calendar. Um, and and so, you know, they, no one has been forgotten. Um, and again, we will be reaching out to you all to help activate both the council member, but also their networks of neighborhood association presidents and their social media and everything. Um, but I will tell you from the first 1,000 touches or so, if you will, that they have, um, right now our consultants were like, okay, let's take a look at a snapshot of the demographic information. And um, as of about two weeks ago, you know, in general, we need more Hispanics. Dallas is 40 some odd percent Latino uh, or Hispanic, and um, we're in the 20s. And so we are making a concerted effort to be more targeted. Like any marketing launch, you're most informed, most gung-ho, the people that have been waiting for this cultural plan for years, they're the ones that show up to those initial meetings. And now we need to get a little bit more uh, scrappy, if you will, in getting out there and tripping over residents in Dallas that don't necessarily know a cultural plan is happening to get their input. So more Hispanics, more North Dallas, our, uh, our community engagement consultants have just said that sometimes they get less community engagement in North Dallas. So more North Dallas and then more non-college educated. Um, Dallas, right now, our data sets between 15 and 20% of individuals without college degrees. That is not representative of the city of Dallas. So um, we're, we're, you know, adjusting accordingly. Um, so if you, you know, kind of keep that in mind as, as we're working. The whole idea is not to completely mirror the city of Dallas. I have seen the surveys that city council gets when they did their customer service survey. I remember right when I started. And I went back and looked at it, and it was 14, 1,400 people citywide, and they were representative of all 14 council districts, but they did flag it. They said, look, more women are willing to do these surveys it leans female more. And so that's where you also have to look at your experts to say, we recognize that this data set is a little skewed, but it also is representative. And so that's that's what we're watching. Madam Director, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, also ties right into this, the notions of equity and balance. Mm -hmm. uh, that question has come up more and more uh, with some really thoughtful resolutions, by the way, in, in these sessions, and, uh, and particularly with the, having the great responsibility of, of mediating the monuments uh, of, of process, the question of equity and balance, again, has, has been very, very, very uh, vibrant, if you will, in all of these uh, uh, cultural planning sessions. So I wish you just maybe speak to that mm -hmm. just for a second, and also I will call on Commissioner mm -hmm. Gonzalez who had a particular point of view that he wanted to share okay. regarding the process. Um, so that's perfect. I had a, about an hour-long conversation today with Joy Bailey Bryant, who is our lead consultant, if you'll remember, with Lord for the new people. You'll get to meet her. Um, and she said, she's like, you know, the, the good news is the January events are going to be much more focused on key issues. And she said um, that this equity, this notion of equity being missing from what, the OCA is about is coming is coming out loud and clear, and it's coming out from a variety of standpoints. So then we've got to shift the conversation to how do we best address it, and how do we address it in one year, five years, more than five years. And another one is spaces. Um, you know, I met with the theater group two days ago, Tuesday, in Dallas. That 100 to 200 seat theater, we don't really have very many options. 
You know, I know nobody wants to build more buildings. I'm not suggesting that. But how do we get creative in addressing spaces? Because that does tie to equity. And artists. And artists. What they're calling it is, I'm drawing a blank, the creative industry. Like, how do you nurture people, whether they are the maker? You know, it's the, how do you nurture somebody from Booker T. Washington or even before that through the entire spectrum of a career? Yes. And we've got some real holes. Yes. And that's come out. Yes. David, do you want to talk about residency? You've been too quiet. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, at our last meeting, they mentioned that we're going to try to have something at the state fair concerning the history of the Tejano Mexican indigenous people in Texas. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that part of a history that has been ignored or not acknowledged. Northern Mexico and Texas is where the Mexicano, Tejano indigenous people were before the Easterners came in. And I'm glad that the city of Dallas is going to do that because we do have a history. We have history, and it doesn't just include Tex-Mex food. It includes culture, art, the vaquero. You know what the word is, right? Cowboy. They came in. The steer came from Mexico. The music, a lot of it came from Mexico. And again, I'm glad that Dallas and I hope that when we get ready to put something together, I'd be glad to give the name of people that know the history. Because Dallas, think about it, since 1850, you know what the Trinidad, Santísimo Trinidad means? That's the Trinity River. The Mexicano bought the levy. They came in. Cement City in Dallas, which is Cemento Grande, right off of 39, there was a big cement company. And they had, they brought in all the people from Mexico to build the structures here in Dallas before it came in. So again, this is our history, and I hope that we think big, that we advertise and do something like that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Rector? Um, I'm going to turn over to So the, uh, the, the artist residencies is something we will start in January, and it's a way for us to simultaneously be sort of inward-looking and even hyper-inward in terms of City Hall, as well as looking towards the bigger arts ecosystem in terms of how we employ and, uh, artists or even broader creatives. So what we've done is we, we've got five opportunities where artists will, in a shark tank sort of application process, will go before five city departments and talk about how they could, and this is, and this has actually been tough for the, uh, some of the departments to, this is not about artists doing artistic services for the departments, it's about how artists and, and more importantly, creative thinking, artistic thinking, artistic brain matter processes can be better incorporated into the way we do all of our business. 
So, for example, one of the examples that we were talking with the director of code, he says, you know, we board up all these old houses for blight. And one of the things that we get complaints about is that we board up the houses really ugly. So, you know, how cool would it be to sort of involve a more, not necessarily to go do a mural project on a house, but to think about a more creative, artistic, aesthetic way to board up these houses. So, tentatively, we'll be working with parks, libraries, code planning. I mean, planning and urban design, I think they've opened up creative thinking to architects, but they haven't quite gotten past to artists. So, I'm looking forward to planning and then environmental quality as one of the small departments. So, we'll be kicking that off in January. They'll report back. They'll do the residencies in February and March, and then we'll have a convening in April, sort of a symposium on what the artists found and hopefully get some great ideas about how to better take credit for what we do on a more citywide basis. And this is, other cities have done this, just so you all know. If this is a success, there's no reason why we can't do this once the cultural plan's over. I mean, there are lots of city departments, right? And the Department of Homeland Services, Homeless Solutions, excuse me, has done a lot of stuff recently to help us, not just Kay's project, but they're helping us with something at Dallas Heritage Village. So, you know, we really are trying to have that connective fiber, and this is a great way to do it. Okay. I know you're all wanting to help us get involved. And there are some really fun ways, and now that, you know, we're not asking people to plan a big meeting, I would ask that maybe you think about your core group. I don't care if it's your book club. I don't care if it's your walking group. Whatever it is, everybody has their group, their crew, if you will. And we have a document, and you can host a community conversation. I'm going to be doing a couple of these. My mom is inviting me to one of her ladies' groups. It's her wine night. But this is a great way. We'll do it before too much wine is served. But this is a great way to engage people in what we're doing in a very non-threatening way. You're not asking them to put anything else on their calendar. I promise you we can do it in 20 minutes. They did it during the break at Turtle Creek Corral, and it went great. So same kind of thing. Let us know. We will have you fully armed and prepared. You are also welcome to come join us at any event that you would like to, and I can send you all the link to those. And it's to talk at an event or to help table an event. The links for the survey and the map with your network are going to go out tomorrow. We've rebuilt it all on one page. And then, obviously, I hope you're following us on social media, Dallas Cultural Plan, Instagram, and Facebook. So any questions? Yes. Remind me again, General, what the timing is for this, just the process overall. Roughly, we'd love to have all of this done kind of roughly end of February, early March. Okay. Yeah. And then what comes after? Starting to kind of talk back. In April, we are reporting back some preliminary, here's what we're hearing, are we crazy? Because then we've got to get busy writing the new plan. And that's the other thing, too. The good news is, you know, that's why we want to have some of these focus groups with big groups that we maybe haven't heard. Because right now, there are three or four clear areas to focus on. Okay, and then I have some really good news, if I could. We found out Friday before last that the Meadows Foundation has completed the private fundraising, and we have raised $303,000 to 
to complete the private support. So the general fund has put in $300,000. And if you see anybody, since you mentioned the TI Foundation, they were the first big gift on board, please thank these folks. You know, people like Hoblitzell and Meadows and TI have been in it with us for decades. But people like PNC Bank have been in Dallas for one year. And they've given a million dollars to the arts and commitments already. And it means a lot to have them at the table. So I'm thrilled. I want to thank, in particular, the OCA team. We do not have a development department. So Cliff and Brittany and David and our SMU intern last summer were writing proposals and letters. And luckily, it came in. So thank you all. Okay, bond program. This is very exciting. The bond results, all 10 propositions passed on November 7th. It's a really happy thing to be at City Hall the morning after a bond election. You can feel the happiness in the room behind City Council. Proposition C, if you remember, was for Fair Park. It included $20 million for the three cultural facilities. Proposition F was for our nine cultural facilities. And I had been told that we were trending, we were polling in the high 50s. We passed with 69% of support. Um, just so y'all know, which was wonderful. Um, so thank you all for advocating and getting people out because I, I was, and multiple people have even commented on it. I think a lot of times the arts have been the lowest one. I mean, we're kind of middle of the pack. So thank you all. I have to say, I, uh, I was extremely disturbed about whether or not it was going to pass at all because of our placement mm -hmm. uh, on the bond program. We talked about that around this table. But I was even more concerned after going to the monument meetings and yeah. listening to council members for, by district being threatened mm -hmm. uh, by a small percentage of Dallas's lingering venom uh, and said that there was no way in the world they would vote or for this bond issue or would it pass. I am so delighted to know that we came in at such a level. Uh, it is really more than practical to say uh, that, that the arts really are supported and appreciated uh, by this city, broadly. Now, not just great. broadly, across all zip codes. So now the work is beginning. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I got an email uh, after we even printed that the first tranche of bonds has been issued. They sell them in allotments, and that's about all I know. So don't ask me any details in the mechanics of issuing bonds. But you have to sell them so that you have the funds, and then you want to put that money to work as quickly as possible. Um, the city is building a website. So if you live in a neighborhood with streets, for example, that are going to get repaired, you'll be able to track the bond programs, and that will be true for our buildings. Um, for cultural facilities, we have already met with EBS once on our needs list. And I hope you understand that one of our prior, our big priorities are obviously life safety and critical systems. As you are sitting in a room without air conditioning, I'm sure, and this building is not even on the bond program, um, that might give you a sense of what critical systems we're talking about. Um, elevators, life safety, HVAC, things like that, roofs. Um, a lot of things that if you don't fix them, they just inevitably cause more issues and cost more to fix. Um, but then also, this keeps coming up, and I just kind of flag it. The Meyerson did have a, a large, um, allotment of over $3 million. Their 30th anniversary is in September of 2019. And you can stand in the lobby and see where the paint is peeling because the roof is leaking so much. Um, and so and the Ellsworth Kelly now has a plexiglass shield over it uh, to protect it. So that project is also probably going to try to get some of that work substantially complete before that anniversary because it will have national uh, notoriety. So any questions? 
Okay. Um, on Monday, we briefed uh, the Quality of Life Arts and Culture Committee for uh, the year-end report for the APAC additional services. In October of 2016, the city um, went into a 10-year agreement for a $1.5 million a year of additional services from APAC to support the broader artistic community. And like anything, when you go into a new agreement, you're, you're not really sure how it's going to shake out. And so we were very committed to monitoring it closely. There's been a great dialogue. Things like the elevator project that we got briefed on earlier are part of that. Um, we did a full briefing, every single line item, at Quality of Life on Monday. And I'm happy to report the services delivered in the 10 and a half months or so were $1.95 million. If you go to the next slide. Um, you can see how we ramped this up across the various service categories from performance space. They manage all of the arts market, arts uh, month marketing and PR for us. Lots of in-kind services that we could never get because we don't have a marketing department. They are handling ticketing now for multiple organizations, including three organizations full seasons. Um, they are doing the arts culture calendar and bi-monthly OCA events blast. They are providing lots of access and community access to the arts and then parking in the silver garage. I will say the committee was thrilled. The one piece of the feedback was we didn't really hire you guys for this for parking. So I think this might be the high water mark of the parking support. But otherwise, you know, things like the ticketing and the marketing and the performance space have been extremely well received. If you want more details, it was a much longer presentation. It's all online under that committee. Are there any questions? They, APAC manages the Silver Garage. So whenever there's a community event, primarily at the Moody Performance Hall, like a Budget Town Hall, or when we hosted the um, Economic Impact Report, we get free parking. And it's, you know, the market rate is $17 a spot. So it is, that's how it gets to be so high. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, we heard, and, and I think APAC heard, if I could speak for them, that uh, that we don't want to be delivering just free parking. It's it's supposed to be supporting the small arts groups. But it is when we're also talking about our economic impact. Mr. Bellier. Yes. Could you address the uh, the uh, city, I think there was an article that came out August 20, 25th where the city auditor cites mm -hmm. concerns about the finances of ADMAC. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a conversation today with another organization about that. So. If you remember two years ago, the city auditor did a full audit of all the relationships at Fair Park, and then they did the same thing in the arts district. What they're looking at, and they're doing, if you've done finance ratio analysis on these arts organizations, things like the amount of cash on hand, and the organization that I talked to, and I don't think should mind me saying this, is Dallas Black Dance Theater. She's like, yeah, you're right, I don't have a lot of cash on hand. Tell me a dance company in America does. It does. And they, the auditor's job is to look at the balance sheet organization. And um, both APAC and Dallas Black Dance are low on some of those ratios. We were also cited for other things around date releases at the Meyerson, uh, because they, the symphony has kind of had some issues with us in date, maximizing the usage of that hall. In addition, the facility fee has got to be put in place at the Meyerson. It's absolutely insane there's no facility fee. So, you know, it was kind of across the board. There are some issues with the way we're managing the public art, um, the, the art collection, excuse me, the city's collection that is managed by the DMA and the inventory and insurance around that. So the article, I would encourage you to read the entire audit, actually, because the article zeroed in on two organizations, 
when in general the audit is more about the way the city manages these relationships. And I actually believe that the case of Dallas Black Dance, it was extremely unfair. And a lot of it's on us. In fact, we are sending language over to the symphony soon to put that facility fee in place. Yeah. A great question. I would also suggest if you go back to early, the end of October and early November budget and finance committee meetings, those, what you just talked about, you can just hit the little, what's it called, educational access channel, I guess it is. It's 16 or 95, I think it is. And all of that information is there as well. And I also think you can go to the city's webpage and get an update on those things. Those things did come up. So it's an important question. But those two organizations, Myerson Symphony and Dallas Black Dance, were the two most immediate. A lot of this seems to be coming from, quote, unquote, the new Sunset Auditor and the kind of ideas they have about reasonable reporting. My word is probably not right. But the kind of reporting that they think informs the city, quote, unquote, more appropriately about their investments. Well, and I think on our end, too, administering these contracts, I will tell you all, it is the devil is in the details. And when you have this many agreements and there's just a few, we can always do better. And in the grand scheme of things, it was a pretty clean audit. Two little comments I'd like to make quickly on this. When you go back to the Performing Arts Center for Additional Services, yes, the parking, if you went to any of these cultural planning meetings, all you hear is parking. People don't just like downtown. They just like parking. Parking is just not, they think, accessible or very welcoming for folks. The second thing, if you have not attended any of the elevated series, you've missed an extraordinary opportunity to be enriched. They really are off the chain. They really are great, great, great activities, great organizations, mid-sized, small, large organizations. And hearing them talk about their experience with the process and working with ADPAC has been delightful to hear. And the notion of the calendars, I think ADPAC is now trying to compete with Art and Seek in terms of providing information. Art and Seek may have to step a little bit further to catch up because that calendar is regular. It's from organizations and activities that not only happen at ADPAC, but they're happening throughout the city. And what I'm, feedback I'm getting back from many arts organizations is that they're getting audiences that never had heard about them before and they had no way, quote, unquote, of reaching and how appreciative they are of that activity. Great. Any other questions on the ADPAC services? We'll keep you all abreast because it's obviously something, but. Real quick. In the ADPAC audit, I saw it did have a note that said they didn't audit these services because obviously it was too soon. But I think that would be a helpful thing to include in the scope of whatever the next audit is. I agree. Oh, definitely. And it is because it's just like their other quarterly invoicing. And we can do, we can basically make that as a part of our request and work with them. And we have, I mean, literally I have the value of every single e-blast, how many households it went to, the cost per million, the data went out. I mean, down to that for every single one of these services. Great. Cultural funding, to update you all since we last met, 
The COP and the CAP artist contracts were approved by Council on the consent agenda, which is our favorite way to be approved, on October 25th. And contracts, I love signing stacks of them every day. They are at City Hall. Payments are coming very soon. And this, kudos to Charlotte Sanderson and her team, because this is much faster. I think in the past, people hoped for January, and we will be ahead of that. And then, looking forward, we have two open application areas right now. Cultural program special support is open, and it closes tomorrow. The good news is we have more than 45 applications that are ongoing. They're open and in process, and Glenn sent me new information today. Glenn Ayers, if he would raise his hand, he is our newest member of Charlotte's team. He implemented an entire new application process, a much better software interface for the group, so they're not having to re-enter every month certain information, which is so much better, long overdue. The CVP grants are open as well, and they close December 1st. So if somebody hasn't opened that one, there's a little more time. That's cultural vitality. And as of a couple of days ago, there were 27 applications complete or in process. So it's moving. And then I do kind of, I think this is interesting. You know, we are constantly looking for ways to both promote the work of the OCA and reach new people. And the results around Facebook, to me, just kind of boggle my mind. We spent under $100 to promote these programs. And, you know, the reach to get something like 328 engagements is just, there's nothing you could do to compete. It's all about social media for both of these. And I just, I share it because this is the kind of work Brittany DuBose and David and Charlotte and Cliff are doing to help get the word out. So sometimes if you're not seeing it, it's not that it's not out there. It's just that Facebook doesn't think that you're necessarily the target audience. And so if we need to adjust something, we will. But there's a lot going on. And then since we're not meeting until now, until January, I just wanted to remind everybody that the OCA also participates in cultural tourism conversations. Visit Dallas and Jane Robertson runs the Cultural Tourism Committee. Benjamin Espino is on it. Many of the larger arts organizations, heads or marketing people are on it. And every year they run the Big D Holiday Campaign, which is a huge value add to the arts. And in the past, they made arts groups buy into the campaign. And this year, for the very first time, everybody was doing the happy dance this summer when they announced that they were going to fully fund this marketing campaign on behalf of the arts. They see it as that much of an added benefit to Dallas for driving tourism. I do think the economic impact study helped make this decision. And it launched November 1st. They are featuring 29 cultural organizations and 58 events. And last year it was 17 organizations. So it's a huge, huge growth. And then I really like the nine markets that they're focusing on. These are the folks that are thinking about coming to Dallas for an overnight trip. They're going to shop. They want to have a good dinner. And they're looking for things to do. And so the fact that Visit Dallas is promoting the arts is wonderful. I, myself, am having trouble finding things to get to manage my own calendar and find time to do everything I wanted to do. So I quickly was putting things on the calendar, and I just did a list from now until the end of the year, and it is by no means comprehensive. But there is a huge range of things happening. This is prime time, y'all, for the arts and activities. 
Please get out there. Visit your liaison organizations. Go to things that you've never been to before. We've never had an Islamic art festival at the DMA, or if we had, I missed it. So that's a huge event this weekend, and it's free. But the list goes on. Art Mart, you know, all sorts of things throughout the year. And then I would like to point out that David Fisher is returning to the stage with 130 productions, and they have a sold-out run at the Bathhouse Cultural Center called It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. And it starts the week after Thanksgiving. There may be a few tickets. Marty, you might be able to work some deals. No. But if you would like to go to that, don't miss that either. Are there any questions about the holiday? It really is. We forget sometimes the cultural tourism. People are coming to Dallas for this stuff. And I love that the arts is getting recognized as a driver beyond North shopping. I think that is just not so much a question, but a further comment before we bring this to a close. One is, in the last year, we've had the National Award winner announced in May. It made again an internationally also recognized gift for artists. Fiesta, anyway, the National Prize. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous organization, and they're doing outstanding work. Secondly, it's important that we had a regional Tony won by the Dallas Theater Center. All of this has happened just this little city that nobody knows anything about beyond the Cowboys. And I think you're going to forget that now, right? And then finally, just this past week, we heard over the past few days ago, the Black Academy of Arts and Letters won an Emmy for its Black Music and Civil Rights Movement annual event that takes place at the Symphony, at the Meyerson. It had been nominated for the past, I think, three years? Oh, wow. The past three years, but this most recent year, they just received the announcement maybe a week ago, barely a week ago, that they received it. So a lot of great things are happening in this city. I want to bring this to a close again by just simply thanking you all for your participation. Again, a warm welcome to the new commissioners, particularly to my returning itches. They are going to be actually commissioned because they do the work, and they do care about the arts in the city of Dallas, and they have great experience and great relationships that I think is going to benefit as well. Secondly, our meetings generally are not quite this long, but we just had a lot of things to be, we were indonated with an awful lot of activity over the past months. We wanted to be sure you got that information. So. Are there any final questions or comments from any of you? If not, I would join adjourning this particular meeting. And thank you all for your participation. Thank you all.